The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. The world news today is filled with the crises threatening wildlife and our environment. From deforestation to desertification, climate change and human-wildlife conflict, overpopulation of people and declining numbers of wildlife, and losing the wild spaces and corridors that wildlife moves through. We hear a lot in the news of poachers and poaching, international criminal cartels and the illegal wildlife trade. But what we don't hear about is the bushmeat trade itself, what drives it and what effects it leaves in its wake. Today, my guest is Evanson Kariuki, who has studied this issue for more than a decade and its relationship to biodiversity, conservation efforts, economics, and global public health. Welcome, Evanson. Good morning. My name is Al Evanson Kariuki from Kenya. And I it, am. It, it's good to have you here. So um, I just want to back up one little second and say that Evans and I have known each other for more than 15 years. I've been so proud to be a part of this young man's life and to see him who once said to me on his 25th birthday that I will be president of Kenya one day and he's grown into the conservation and expert knowledge that he has and he's, which he's gained through working alongside and in partnership and collaborative efforts across the spectrum from governmental to non-governmental, communal to private and public conservation program consulting. So, Evans, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself and uh, what's been going on in your life and how you got here? Um, mine is a long story. I was born and brought up in the central part of the country, Kenya, between the two mountains that provide water for the city of Nairobi. And uh, we call them the water towers in Kenya, between Mount Kenya and the Abadeas. That's where I was born and brought up. Went to school in Lulo, Kenya, and then went to university in the northern part of the equator, Itumoy University, where I studied public administration. While studying at the university, I started gaining interest by joining the wildlife club at the university. During those formative years, what we could do was just to advocate among the student community about the importance and role of wildlife in Kenya. It was while being a member of that university club that I took my first field trip to Savo East National Park, 
on a trip that was sponsored by the David Shared Record Life Trust and we visited the Elephant Orphanage in Savo East. And I would say that initial trip was to leave a lasting impression on myself, such that after university, when I came out of the university, I teamed up with the other former members of the Wildlife Club and we formed a young conservation group called Youth for Conservation in Nairobi. While working for Youth for Conservation, we would volunteer to go and collect litter from Nairobi National Park and other public parks in Nairobi. And we also started uh, volunteering our time to go and work alongside Kenya Wildlife Service to try and remove traps set to capture animals for bushmeat in the boundaries of Nairobi National Park and the dispersal areas in the Kapiti area. Later on, I was to get involved in the same activities in Abadea National Park and in Masai Mara. Well, I, I think um, I got so much immersed in the problem of snaring and saving wildlife that I decided to make a career out of it. And that you have. So you've been doing, we met I think in 1999 when you were working and took me on a desnaring patrol um, with uh, Ann Kent Taylor, I believe, in the Maasai Mara. So it was an eye-opening experience for me. Good, yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I remember first meeting you in the Maasai Mara, and uh, we went out on a snaring mission. Um, luckily, we were not able to retrieve a lot of snares with you. And, <laughs> that's because uh, I was too slow. Um, I say luckily because um, any time we remove these traps, uh, I, I feel bad because uh, they have been set to maim, kill, injure animals. And the fact that on a good patrol day we are not able to get any, I feel good about it. And um, it shows that the people who set them are changing their strategies from time to time. So it happens the day that I went with you, uh, probably the people who set snares had changed their strategy and they were snaring elsewhere that we couldn't reach. Well, let's, let's, um, let's get into this because... As I've said, you know, people understand poaching and poachers and that they're, quote-unquote, the bad guys. And there's a lot of attention in the world now that the, these poachers are international uh, crime cartels hiring and, in, in, um, you know, sort of disposable people. But this is something different. The bushmeat and snare trade, or, or the bushmeat trade and setting snares, yes, sometimes it goes hand-in-hand, with the international cartels, but we're dealing with it today in this conversation on a much more local scale. So, um, tell us what bushmeat is in its broader context. I um, thank you. I will start by explaining uh, the meaning of what I mean by bushmeat. Uh, bushmeat is the illegal and unsustainable trade in wildlife meat for income. Uh, basically, people, poor people living next to wildlife areas will go out and set a trap to capture the antelopes to feed their families, but they also want to sell the excess meat to earn income. Now, the problem comes in that it is unsustainable to the extent that you put a snare today and you catch two, tomorrow you put ten snares, you catch eight, you sell the excess. The other day you set 20 snares. 
you will catch 18 animals. The other day you set 50. You catch 20 animals. You leave the other snares still set. And you disappear with the meat that you have obtained. The other snares will continue killing other animals, including animals that are not targeted. So we call it illegal in the sense that it is not regulated and people use unsustainable hunting methods. They don't distinguish between the young, the aged, uh, those that are uh, probably expectant. The snares don't distinguish between any of them. It will harm anything that comes by. So tell us a little bit how snares are set because this leads into uh, de-snaring projects of which you've done a lot and which your um, the program that you work with, B-E-A-N, Bushmeat Free East Africa, um, has done a lot of work uh, in, in raising education and awareness about the indiscriminate killing of that snares end up doing. So give our audience, our listeners, just a little bit of idea of where these snares are set and how they manage to catch so many animals and that um, you know it ends up staying behind so that from what I understand you just said they set up to 50 snares catch what they can but don't necessarily check back at what's been caught before and then they just pack up and leave leaving the snares in place so tell us a little bit more about the process of snaring and, and where it takes place? Um, snare, the process of snaring is widespread. Anywhere that you will find free roaming wildlife, as is to be the case in Kenya, where you find that over 60-70% of wildlife is outside protected areas. Anywhere you find wildlife, people will go and snare them. And basically because um, the sense of ownership. We believe, a lot of our people believe that the animals belong to the government. So as long as it is not yours, people think it is a free thing. But uh, how it happens, snares will come in different sizes and they are set in different locations depending on the intended target animals. For example, if you want to catch a giraffe and the people doing it for commercial purposes will want to go for bigger sized animals like the buffaloes and giraffes because they have a lot of meat. These snares for giraffes will be strategically stung between trees, about three meters or so above the ground, and they do so especially on the acacia tree that is preferred by the giraffe. When the giraffe comes to feed on the acacia tree, it will get the snare will get into the neck, and as it tries to move away, the noose will tighten because the snare is basically a noose, a wire that they have made a noose and it tightens and uh, it is tied to a strong tree trunk that an animal cannot be able to break away from. So it ends up killing the animal instantly. So In other cases, we're, you... We're not talking about small wire here. We're talking about big, thick gauge wire up to cables thickness. Yes. And it's a slow and yes. devastating death for the animal. They suffer greatly. And uh, the... the they suffer greatly. They do suffer greatly. Um, you will find that uh, every year thousands of animals and livestock, including livestock actually, because these areas that are inhabited in, in with wildlife are also good areas where the local people keep livestock. 
the snares will not discriminate. You will find that every year wild animals and livestock will lose their lives, they will lose their lives, and they also lose their freedom to, to snares. And it is devastating wildlife populations across the savannas. So, um, how does this, well, we can understand now, since so many snares are left in place, and then you create desnaring teams, which takes a lot of time in the field, and you also have to have very good tracking skills and knowledge of the bush to know where these snares are being set and collect them, and that's an ongoing process. So now that we understand that this is an ongoing thing and how devastating it is to the wildlife corridors that move through these areas, how does and that it's affecting the biodiversity indiscriminately, how does it affect the economy, the upside and the downside? In Kenya, you will find that our, 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 our economy is tourism-based. Actually, you find that tourism brings in the, the largest amount of foreign exchange to our country. And uh, as a result of which, the presence of wildlife in itself is an asset. It brings in tourists. Now, when these animals are caught and killed, it would mean that the future presence of wildlife is threatened at more so our economy. This is in relation to the fact that when tourists come to Kenya, they bring in, in a lot of revenue and benefits a lot of people. This is from the tour drivers, the taxi drivers, the guides in the national park, people working in hotels, people supplying food into the hotels, people fixing vehicles in the garage when they break, tourist vehicles when they break down. All of them get their pay from from wildlife, basically. So, and, when, uh, so when the wildlife is disappearing, there's this sub-economy of the illegal bushmeat trade that's going on in the in the local markets and from what I understand um, some restaurants were caught using bush meat which is also illegal and uh, so it's kind of a, a black market trade running alongside or parallel to the public or general economy of the country or any country where snaring and bush meat trade is rampant sure that is the right context People feeling that they want to make more, they will always go out of their way to try and exploit what they think is coming for free. It affects our economy. In terms of biodiversity, a lot of species are disappearing. And actually, I'm fearing that in our lifetime, we will continue losing certain species that are localized in certain areas. If snaring continues to happen, then these animals will be snared out and eaten and there is no way we'll be able to bring them back again. Then you will also find that um, it's a global public health issue. The meat is not inspected. It is handled in poor methods, and it could bring all kinds of diseases to people. And there are diseases that have been known to come from wildlife to livestock or even to people. For example, you have diseases like um, the avian influenza, Ebola, that all emanate from because so it's a big problem and it's going into it's going into previously somewhat untouched areas because as more people uh, pop, human population increases and buffer zones around protected areas or wildlife rich areas 
uh, start mingling with more and more people. And then you've got the snares being set not only in, in protected areas on the borders of them, but where wildlife roams outside the protected areas, then we're, we're breaking into the ecosystem on a whole different level, which, uh, as you just said, has a quite an impact on public health. And I'd like to get into that uh, more in our next section. Uh, right now, we do need to step step away and take a break. This is Our Wild World. My guest is Evanson Karayuki, and we'll be right back with a whole lot of more inter- interesting information. So please stick with us. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss in Our Wild World. And today we are tackling on air the bushmeat crisis and the bushmeat problem with my guest, Evanson Karayuki. So right before we went to the break, we talked about the threats to public health that are that can be incurred, such as Ebola and other uh, diseases that travel between human and wildlife barriers, vectors, um, and that it is affecting public health. So, Evans, help us understand what drives the bushmeat trade, because that has a lot to do with, you know, the public health and political and poverty issues. Help us understand how these connect. Um... I normally call them the demand drivers. What is driving the demand? What That's what I call the demand drivers. Now, in Africa, you will find that we have increasing human populations. A lot of the rural families you will find, an average family will have about 10 members. The father, the, 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 father, the mother, and about 8 children. 
to be able to feed all these people, it's not easy, especially where people are poor. So people will always want to go for what they think is coming out for free. Wildlife happening out of protected areas, people think it is a free resource and they will go for it. When they want to raise money, they will kill more so that they can sell to unsuspecting people to make money. For example, we have had several cases where bushmeat has been intercepted, being brought to the city of Nairobi, disguised as beef. And when it comes to the butcheries, the, the local meat selling point, it is mixed with other uh, beef, and you can never know what, you cannot, uh, an average person will not be able to go and tell this is beef, this is from so you had mentioned, you know, the, the the mishandling or the handling of bushmeat. It's wild-caught meat. Don't know the disease of the animal or um, the vectors that that animal might be carrying. And now you're telling us that at the meeting, uh, the main butcheries, now it get, it's kind of like money laundering, but it's meat laundering. Now this bushmeat has gotten into the mainstream and is going public. This is because the process of obtaining bushmeat is illegal. The people doing it will want to kill animals late in the evening, even at night. And the handling itself, you know, like in a commercial uh, meat outlet, there are those public health specifications that you are supposed to meet in order for you to be licensed to sell the legal meat in the market. Now for bushmeat, it is the other way. You want to cut it from the field, bring it to the city hidden so even the way you transport it in times you will find it put together with charcoal that is coming from forest to come and help in cooking in other places you'll find it hidden in very unhygienic places the handling itself is unhygienic and then it is never inspected by public health officials it is never inspected so it could have all manner of horrors among it for example, you will find that approximately 75% of recent emerging infectious diseases have been zoonoses. Zoonoses are diseases that jump from wildlife to people to livestock and so on. Diseases like anthrax. If you go out and catch an animal that has anthrax, you come and sell it to people. You can imagine the type of uh, emergency it could create on people. Yeah, people it creates are quite, also, a, a, quite a public health issue. So, um, and you just said that it's not inspected. So, part of the problem here is inadequate awareness and weak law enforcement, right? Precisely, yes. So, this and these come from the other demand drivers that you were explaining to us not only political instability and the poverty but lack of alternatives and a big one lack of lack of ownership who owns the wildlife so you told us you know outside the park people think it's free so because the animal is there it's a resource it's a natural resource so it's theirs but what you're helping us to understand is that it doesn't quite work that way in the real world that the bushmeat crisis is huge on not only the wildlife and the biodiversity of an area, but on public health. So how do, how do we um, address some of these issues? What does Bean do 
and what do you and your partners and your collaborators collaborators do in the local communities to help raise awareness to stop snaring? We are trying to approach this problem using different methods. One of them you find that there is general ignorance about the importance of wildlife and people think the resource can never be depleted. In Kenya, as you drive from the city a few meters, a few kilometers from the city going to whatever direction, you will see zebras along the roadside, and people think these animals are in plenty. So we have been trying to build capacity, especially for game scouts, trying to teach them on how they can help us in monitoring bushmeat and also in reporting. There are certain areas that are notorious for bushmeat harvesting. We cannot be able to have a wildlife ledger stationed against every animal to protect it. So the game scouts who are working and living in the communities come in as the first point of contact between the communities and the government agencies charged with uh, taking care of wildlife. So we build capacity of them through game scout workshops and they are able to go out make reports about injured animals because it is important that if an animal succeeds in getting away with a snare, it is wooded, then it can pose problems to other people. Scouts will help in reporting this and the animals can be treated or taken out whatever way. We are also trying to build the capacity of bushmeat educators and wildlife club patrons. When they have wildlife clubs in schools, they start teaching the pupils about the importance of wildlife and how bushmeat can be a problem. The kids can one way or another go and influence their f family members who could be involved in it. And this comes more like uh, today the wildlife law has been changed. If you get caught you can be fined about 2,000 US dollars. Poor people will not be able to afford that. It would mean life in jail. So once we give the people this kind of information it helps them in decision making. The other approach we are doing is in-field research. We want to, we go out and do research on the drivers. We know the species that are affected, the extent of the problem in certain areas as opposed to others. This helps in directing law enforcement personnel to give more attention to areas where we have found utilization of bushmeat is high. The other approach we are trying to employ is uh, giving a livelihood alternatives for both income and protein to communities. Someone with a family of 10 cannot be able to go and buy beef to come and feed all his children from time to time. So these are the people who normally go and capture these animals for bushmeat. But once you help them to come together in groups and they start a project that is giving them an alternative for protein and they can sell whatever produce they come out with legally, this helps in minimizing the problem. For example, we have helped communities in certain areas to start chicken projects. And they can be able to layer chicken and they get eggs, they sell the eggs and get money. They eat some of the chicken and they also sell the other chicken to other people and they make money. That way they don't have a motivation to go and poach. And they also get protein for their community members. And the other one that we are working... I'm sorry, I was wondering, what about livestock? I mean, we know of the, you know, a lot of Kenya are pastoralists, so they do have cattle and small stock, sheep and goats. 
and as you're saying, snaring is indiscriminate. It also catches these animals. Are there small stock, livestock um, management programs also so that they can offtake that meat as a, an, an alternative source of protein? Sure, yeah, they are, they are there. A lot of people keep sheep, they keep goods, and on, from time to time they are able to slaughter one in a family and they satisfy their need for meat, and that would mean they will not get motivated to go and look for bushmeat. So really, what you're the, telling us is the Game Scouts in the communities and the work that you and your teams do are the front line of defense against further snaring and the bushmeat program. So here you are working with the communities that are setting the snares and that are taking bushmeat, not all of them, those that are you know, willing to take the risk and do the illegal activities. You said now it's fine, the wildlife laws have changed, but does it stick? Does the work you're doing stick in these communities where these activities are taking place? Or do they feel that you're attacking them or trying to change their lifestyle? Or do, do you find that they work with you and understand what you're trying to, what is trying to be accomplished, not just by you, but for them? Initially, there has been some resistance. People saying you are interfering with a way of life that we have been used to. But once you approach it in terms of giving them information, you, you create awareness in them about the importance of wildlife. You ask them how many of your brothers and cousins are employed in two companies, and they start uh, linking the dots. People see the, 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 the sense that you are talking, and they also start thinking that this is something that is also helped for them. For example, if you lose a cow or two goats to snares, tomorrow you will be very unhappy about with people setting snares. And we normally get our first line of support from the herdsmen themselves because the snares are also catching their livestock. They are the first people who come to give us information. These people come at, in the evening. They are a group of two or four. They carry the meat in motorbikes and, and whatever. We are able to obtain that kind of information. That's, that's excellent. The, that's excellent. Go ahead. The other approach we are using is in terms of law enforcement. You will find that the process of law enforcement has different stakeholders. From the person on the cloud who is a game ranger, who by law is entitled to go and arrest offenders against wildlife, they don't have the custodial rights of uh, the people they arrest. So the game rangers will arrest and put the suspects or the poachers into a police station. The police, on the other hand, they treat issues of wildlife as just some other uh, pet issue. I remember a, 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 an incident some years back when we took someone with four impalas to a police station. And the policeman was very surprised that we have brought someone in because he has meat. He went to look for meat and he has meat. So we are trying to educate these law enforcement partners to work together. In working in partnership, the game ranger will come with a culprit, with the light evidence, and the police will go and prosecute, and the judiciary will hear what is being presented in court, and they will adduce sentences, especially about people who are doing it on commercial purposes, because these are the people who are doing a lot of the damage on wildlife. So you have. Then finally, we. 
go ahead i'm sorry finally we have the issue of a lack of ownership right a zebra by the side of the road who does it belong to people say it belongs to the government but of late we have had uh, several efforts that are coming up with the establishment of community conservancies allowed protected areas and these conservancies are also giving benefits back to community members and they also get uh, sponsorship to take their schools their kids to school they get uh, water projects coming dispensaries as a result of setting up these conservancies that uh, they work with some tourist establishment to start some tourism business in those conservancies so it is working and now people are beginning to say oh that sibla is the one that is paying school fees for our kids and that way we are winning the battle well this is great because um it's a, it's a growing problem in one way but you're addressing it in a changing time and a, you know coming up to a modern way of life without necessarily interfering with cultural traditions um the only thing you're trying to change and it seems in Kenya the wildlife act and law enforcement is catching up with you so it really is coming together to um create a new system a new model that is not only about conservation but about one health public health and that what we do to the ecosystem and the animals in that ecosystem does have an effect locally on the local community population and the larger population the tourist population and then if any of that meat happens to be shipped outside the country global population and health issues so uh once again we're out of time for this section uh stick with us with my guest Evanson Karayuki and we are talking about bush meat and the the bush meat trade and the effects of that on not only local communities but on a global scale in terms of biodiversity public health and we're going to come up with some of the solutions that El- Evanson and his collaborators have been working with so stick with us we'll be right back wildlife no wild no life big scary beautiful predators are in danger without them our rivers dry up our forests don't grow our communities go hungry our biodiversity crumbles wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems the wild effect it's in our hands Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one earth. If we don't care, who will? W I L D I Z E . O R G 
American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune in to the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner 
parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. Welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss and my guest, Evanson Kariuki. So uh, in the show to, so far, between the first and couple of sections of this program, if you're just tuning in, we've covered what bushmeat is and what drives the demand and what it affects in terms of local communities to law enforcement to wildlife impacts to disease and public health. Um, what a lot of people don't understand when they hear the term poacher that it is not just about take the taking of wildlife. It is the illegal action and taking of other resources. Evans, help us understand what some of these other resources are and how it is connected to such things as de- deforestation and desertification. Good. Um, pushing does not only... Uh, zero into wildlife. There are people who take poaching for people going for ivory. They don't even prioritize um, bushmeat as a form of poaching. There is poaching for wood and wood product also. Some trees are normally protected by law, like the saddlewood, and they happen to be found somewhere out there in the wild, and people will go for them. There is increasing number of many more other people who are going to harvest fuel, wood, they cut down wood and they want to burn charcoal. Uh, charcoal is um, the product that is made from wood that is burnt with reduced oxygen and this is what is generally used by a lot of people in the cities. So you find that every day a lot of trucks are coming into the city bringing in charcoal. The people who do this are doing it actually in the wildlife areas. So they make sure that they ensure that there is a lot of movement in the wildlife areas. And these people, when they are carrying out charcoal, they will also carry bushmeat alongside. The other people who are going to poach wood for wood carving, the carvings that you find being sold to tourists and the like, it's only some specific trees can be carved out of these products. So again, these ones are also being depleted at an alarming rate and land is also being created, cleared for human settlement because of the increasing human population. And when this is done, wildlife habitat is increasingly getting lost. There is general ignorance about the impacts that today's action will have on the environment and future livelihoods. I'll give an example. When I was growing up, 
we used to have wet rads almost all over in my in my village. Over the years, people cut down trees, and these wet rads have disappeared. We all know the importance of wet rads in regulating the environment. Many communities have watched the tree cover on their farms shrink over the years without being replenished. And this, coupled together with the problems of global warming, is going to be a huge problem in the next few years. Then you will find that in Kenya we have about 24,000 primary schools and nearly 9,500 secondary schools. Together with this, we find a lot of factories in the rural areas, like the ones that um, process coffee and tea. Especially the tea factories, they use fuel wood to do their work. So further, you will find that further trees are being depleted and not replenished. There is a research that we did out, we carried out a few months ago on fuel wood consumption by a secondary school in one of the counties a school with a population of about 500 students. Our research revealed that the annual fuel wood used for preparation of the food in the school amounted to about 120 tons of wood. It further showed that due to the fact that wood was in short supply, the cost of this was high and it takes up significant percentage of the school budget. The school sets aside a lot of money buy wood for cooking. While statistics at heart are only relating to a school of 500 students, if you multiply this with the number of schools in the country with similar population, it is almost impossible to imagine how many trees we are losing. And this would translate into a very big problem in the coming years. So you're addressing this by um implementing some green culture uh, economics and projects. How does that work? We are trying to create awareness among our people, trying to encourage especially the school kids, encourage them. Once you join a, a, a standard one class, grade one, make sure you plant a tree, take good care of that tree throughout your stay in the school. By the time you leave school, your tree will be big enough and you will have done something. Once we inculcate a culture of planting trees and taking care of them, we are bringing up a green culture that will help us increase tree cover in all corners of the country. And another and thing... This is working in certain schools. Oh, that's great. So another thing it brings up is in terms of deforestation and desertification and climate change, which you just talked about, Excuse me. Most areas in Africa, especially sub-Saharan Africa, wildlife-rich areas, are very dependent on water and the rains. So as climate shift comes about and starts changing the, the rain patterns and thus changing the migratory patterns of animals and changing the areas where trees can grow, it starts cascading uh, through the trophic levels. A cascade of consequences, as you just said, is unimaginable to think about. So here in the West, we have a lot of access to information and we can process this kind of conceptual, out-of-the-box thinking. 
but we're talking about rural communities in in Africa, in Kenya, that don't have access to this kind of information. I'm not saying they're uneducated, and I'm not saying that they're they're stupid or dumb, but they don't necessarily, as Evan said, said earlier, link the dots together to see how these issues are going to affect them personally in the very near future. So 120 tons of wood for one school is a lot. So if you do the math, you figure out um, just how big that is. Are you involved in any carbon credit projects? Uh, not necessarily myself, but there are a lot of projects now that are doing that. And uh, I think that is another area that we also need to look at in terms of helping our people get benefits to protect the environment. That's great. So um, what's going on now? So we've we've got a good understanding now for our listeners to understand that poaching is um, you know, for the bushmeat trade is a global issue. It's not just a local issue. That it has impacts on biodiversity and public health. And um, you gave us a great example of just how we can imagine the scale of this project. So, um, what are you doing in terms of what to, of tackling this problem? You'd spe- you'd mentioned capacity building and Game Scout work- workshops. And what are some of the other projects that you're doing to address? Uh, this issue on the local community level? At, at the local levels, we are trying to do partnership buildings, trying to bring in the private sector. If there is a way a private sector can be involved as part of their corporate social responsibility to get involved with these issues, it is helping one way or another, creating jobs for the communities and giving them tangible benefits that they would they, they would they would associate with. We are also trying to build coalitions, wider coalitions. The person living in the city may not necessarily be concerned about trees out there, firewood and other things. He just knows that he will go out buy a bag of charcoal. He doesn't know where it came from. And um, to be able to move these people out of their ignorant zones I have been trying to organize field trips for people, especially working in the city of Nairobi. Like during the long Easter holidays, we take a trip and we go visit a particular national park. So um, what's unfortunate and really too bad is we are out of time today. This has been an enlivening and I hope highly educative for our listeners. And once again, that's it for Our Wild World. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.